BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Chapter 17 of The Tenant of Wildfell Hall by Anne Bronte. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter 17 The next day I accompanied my uncle and aunt to a dinner party at Mr. Wilmot's. He had two ladies staying with him, his niece Annabella, a fine dashing girl, or rather young woman, of some five and twenty. Too great a flirt to be married, according to her own assertion, but greatly admired by the gentlemen who universally pronounced her a splendid woman and her gentle cousin millicent hargrave who had taken a violent fancy to me mistaking me for something vastly better than i was and i in return was very fond of her i should entirely exclude poor millicent in my general animadversions against the ladies of my acquaintance but it was not on her account or her cousins that i had mentioned the party it was the sake of another of mr wilmot's guests to wit mr huntingdon i have good reason to remember his presence there for this was the last time i saw him he did not sit near me at dinner for it was his fate to hand in a capacious old dowager and mine to be handed in by mr grimsby a friend of his but a man i very greatly disliked there was a sinister cast in his countenance and a mixture of lurking ferocity and fulsome insincerity in his demeanour that i could not away with what a tiresome custom that is by the by one among the many sources of factitious annoyance of this ultra-civilized life if the gentlemen must lead the ladies into the dining-room why cannot they take those they like best i am not sure however that mr huntingdon would have taken me if he had been at liberty to make his own selection it is quite possible he might have chosen miss wilmot for she seemed bent upon engrossing his attention to herself and he seemed nothing loath to pay the homage she demanded i thought so at least when i saw how they talked and laughed and glanced across the table to the neglect and evident umbrage of their respective neighbours and afterwards as the gentleman joined us in the drawing-room when she immediately upon his entrance loudly called upon him to be the arbiter of a dispute between herself and another lady and he answered the summons with alacrity and decided the question without a moment's hesitation in her favour though to my thinking she was obviously in the wrong and then stood chatting familiarly with her and a group of other ladies while i sat with millicent hargrave at the opposite end of the room looking over the latter's drawings and aiding her with my critical observations and advice at her particular desire but in spite of my efforts to remain composed my attention wandered from the drawings to the merry group 
and against my better judgment my wrath rose and doubtless my countenance lowered for millicent observing that i must be tired of her daubs and scratches begged i would join the company now and defer the examination of the remainder to another opportunity but while i was assuring her that i had no wish to join them and was not tired mr huntingdon himself came up to the little round table at which we sat are these yours said he carelessly taking up one of the drawings no they are miss hargrave's oh well let's have a look at them and regardless of miss hargrave's protestations that they were not worth looking at he drew a chair to my side and receiving the drawings one by one from my hand successively scanned them over and threw them on the table but said not a word about them though he was talking all the time i don't know what millicent hargrave thought of such conduct but i found his conversation extremely interesting though as i afterwards discovered when i came to analyse it it was chiefly confined to quizzing the different members of the company present and albeit he made some clever remarks and some excessively droll ones i do not think the whole would appear anything very particular if written here without the adventitious aids of look and tone and gesture and that ineffable but indefinable charm which cast a halo over all he did and said and which would have made it a delight to look in his face and hear the music of his voice if he had been talking positive nonsense and which moreover made me feel so bitter against my aunt when she put a stop to this enjoyment by coming composedly forward under pretence of wishing to see the drawings that she cared and knew nothing about and while making believe to examine them addressing herself to mr huntingdon with one of her coldest and most repellent aspects and beginning a series of the most commonplace and formidably formal questions and observations on purpose to wrest his attention from me on purpose to vex me as i thought and having now looked through the portfolio i left them to their tete-a-tete and seated myself on a sofa quite apart from the company never thinking how strange such conduct would appear but merely to indulge at first the vexation of the moment and subsequently to enjoy my private thoughts but i was not left long alone for mr wilmot of all men the least welcome took advantage of my isolated position to come and plant himself beside me i had flattered myself that i had so effectually repulsed his advances on all former occasions that i had nothing more to apprehend from his unfortunate predilection but it seems i was mistaken so great was his confidence either in his wealth or his remaining powers of attraction and so firm his conviction of feminine weakness that he thought himself warranted to return to the siege which he did with renovated ardour enkindled by the quantity of wine he had drunk a circumstance that rendered him infinitely the more disgusting but greatly as i abhorred him at that moment i did not like to treat him with rudeness as i was now his guest and had just been enjoying his hospitality and i was no hand at a polite but determined rejection nor would it have greatly availed me if i had for he was too coarse-minded to take any repulse that was not as plain and positive as his own effrontery the consequence was that he waxed more fulsomely tender and more repulsively warm and i was driven to the very verge of desperation and about to say i know not what when i felt my hand that hung over the arm of the sofa suddenly taken by another and gently but fervently pressed instinctively i guessed who it was and on looking up was less surprised than delighted 
to see mr huntingdon smiling upon me it was like turning from some purgatorial fiend to an angel of light come to announce that the season of torment was past helen said he he frequently called me helen and i never resented the freedom i want you to look at this picture mr wilmot will excuse you a moment i'm sure i rose with alacrity he drew my arm within his and led me across the room to a splendid painting of van dyke's that i had noticed before but not sufficiently examined after a moment of silent contemplation i was beginning to comment on its beauties and peculiarities when playfully pressing the hand he still retained within his arm he interrupted me with never mind the picture it was not for that i brought you here it was to get you away from that scoundrelly old profligate yonder who is looking as if he would like to challenge me for the affront i am very much obliged to you said i this is twice you have delivered me from such unpleasant companionship don't be too thankful he answered it is not all kindness to you it is partly from a feeling of spite to your tormentors that makes me delighted to do the old fellows a bad turn though i don't think i have any great reason to dread them as rivals have i helen you know i detest them both and me i have no reason to detest you but what are your sentiments towards me helen speak how do you regard me and again he pressed my hand but i feared there was more of conscious power than tenderness in his demeanour and i felt he had no right to extort a confession of attachment from me when he had made no correspondent avowal himself and knew not what to answer at last i said how do you regard me sweet angel i adore you i helen i want you a moment said the distinct low voice of my aunt close beside me and i left him muttering maledictions against his evil angel well aunt what is it what do you want said i following her to the embrasure of the window i want you to join the company when you are fit to be seen returned she severely regarding me but please to stay here a little till that shocking colour is somewhat abated and your eyes have recovered something of their natural expression i should be ashamed for any one to see you in your present state of course such a remark had no effect in reducing the shocking colour on the contrary i felt my face glow with redoubled fires kindled by a complication of emotions of which indignant swelling anger was the chief i offered no reply however but pushed aside the curtain and looked into the night or rather into the lamplit square was mr huntingdon proposing to you helen inquired my too watchful relative no what was he saying then i heard something very like it i don't know what he would have said if you hadn't interrupted him and would you have accepted him helen if he had proposed of course not without consulting uncle and you oh i'm glad my dear you have so much prudence left well now she added after a moment's pause you have made yourself conspicuous enough for one evening the ladies are directing inquiring glances towards us at this moment i see i shall join them do you come too when you are sufficiently composed to appear as usual i am so now speak gently then and don't look so malicious said my calm but provoking aunt we shall return home shortly and then she added with solemn significance i have much to say to you so i went home prepared for a formidable lecture little was said by either party in the carriage during our short transit homewards but when i had entered my room and thrown myself into an easy-chair to reflect on the events of the day 
my aunt followed me thither and having dismissed rachel who was carefully stowing away my ornaments closed the door and placing a chair beside me or rather at right angles with mine sat down with due deference i offered her my more commodious seat she declined it and thus opened the conference do you remember helen our conversation the night but one before we left stainingly yes aunt and do you remember how i warned you against letting your heart be stolen from you by those unworthy of its possession and fixing your affections where approbation did not go before and where reason and judgment withheld their sanction yes but my reason pardon me and do you remember assuring me that there was no occasion for uneasiness on your account for you should never be tempted to marry a man who was deficient in sense or principle however handsome or charming in other respects he might be for you could not love him you should hate despise pity anything but love him were not those your words yes but and did you not say that your affection must be founded on approbation and that unless you could approve and honour and respect you could not love yes but i do approve and honour and respect how so my dear is mr huntingdon a good man he is a much better man than you think him that is nothing to the purpose is he a good man yes in some respects he has a good disposition is he a man of principle perhaps not exactly but it is only for want of thought if he had someone to advise him and remind him of what is right he would soon learn you think and you yourself would willingly undertake to be his teacher but my dear he is i believe full ten years older than you how is it that you are so beforehand in moral acquirements thanks to you aunt i have been well brought up and had good examples always before me which he most likely has not and besides he is of a sanguine temperament and a gay thoughtless temper and i am naturally inclined to reflection well now you have made him out to be deficient in both sense and principle by your own confession well then my sense and my principle are at his service that sounds presumptuous helen do you think you have enough for both and do you imagine your merry thoughtless profligate would allow himself to be guided by a young girl like you no i should not wish to guide him but i think i might have influence sufficient to save him from some errors and i should think my life well spent in the effort to preserve so noble a nature from destruction he always listens attentively now when i speak seriously to him and i often venture to reprove his random way of talking and sometimes he says that if he had me always by his side he should never do or say a wicked thing and that a little daily talk with me would make him quite a saint maybe partly just and partly flattery but still but still you think it may be truth if i do think there is any mixture of truth in it it is not from confidence in my own powers but in his natural goodness and you have no right to call him a profligate aunt he is nothing of the kind who told you so my dear what was that story about his intrigue with a married lady lady who was it miss wilmot herself was telling you the other day it was false false i cried i don't believe a word of it you think then that he is a virtuous well-conducted young man i know nothing positive respecting his character i only know that i have heard nothing definitive against it nothing that could be proved at least and till people can prove their slanderous accusations i will not believe them 
and i know this that if he has committed errors they are only such as are common to youth and such as nobody thinks anything about for i see that everybody likes him and all the mammas smile upon him and their daughters and miss wilmot herself are only too glad to attract his attention helen the world may look upon such offences as venial a few unprincipled mothers may be anxious to catch a young man of fortune without reference to his character and thoughtless girls may be glad to win the smiles of so handsome a gentleman without seeking to penetrate beyond the surface but you i trusted were better informed than to see with their eyes and judge with their perverted judgment i did not think you would call these venial errors nor do i aunt but if i hate the sins i love the sinner and would do much for his salvation even supposing your suspicions to be mainly true which i do not and will not believe well my dear ask your uncle what sort of company he keeps and if he is not banded with a set of loose profligate young men whom he calls his friends his jolly companions and whose chief delight is to wallow in vice and vie with each other who can run fastest and furthest down the headlong road to the place prepared for the devil and his angels then i will save him from them oh helen helen you little know the misery of uniting your fortunes to such a man i have such confidence in him aunt notwithstanding all you say that i would willingly risk my happiness for the chance of securing his i will leave better men to those who only consider their own advantage if he has done amiss i shall consider my life well spent in saving him from the consequences of his early errors and striving to recall him to the path of virtue god grant me success here the conversation ended for at this juncture my uncle's voice was heard from his chamber loudly calling upon my aunt to come to bed he was in a bad humour that night for his gout was worse it had been gradually increasing upon him ever since we came to town and my aunt took advantage of the circumstance next morning to persuade him to return to the country immediately without waiting for the close of the season his physician supported and enforced her arguments and contrary to her usual habits she so hurried the preparations for removal as much for my sake as my uncle's i think that in a very few days we departed and i saw no more of mr huntingdon my aunt flatters herself i shall soon forget him perhaps she thinks i have forgotten him already for i never mention his name and she may continue to think so till we meet again if ever that should be i wonder if it will End of chapter 17. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter 18 of The Tenant of Wildfell Hall by Anne Bronte. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter 18. August 25th i am now quite settled down to my usual routine of steady occupations and quiet amusements tolerably contented and cheerful but still looking forward to spring with the hope of returning to town not for its gaieties and dissipations but for the chance of meeting mr huntingdon once again for still he is always in my thoughts and in my dreams in all my employments whatever i do or see or hear has an ultimate reference to him whatever skill or knowledge i acquire is some day to be turned to his advantage or amusement whatever new beauties in nature or art i discover are to be depicted to meet his eye 
or stored in my memory to be told him at some future period this at least is the hope that i cherish the fancy that lights me on my lonely way it may be only an ignis fatus after all but it can do no harm to follow it with my eyes and rejoice in its lustre as long as it does not lure me from the path i ought to keep and i think it will not for i have thought deeply on my aunt's advice and i see clearly now the folly of throwing myself away on one that is unworthy of all the love i have to give and incapable of responding to the best and deepest feelings of my inmost heart so clearly that even if i should see him again and if he should remember me and love me still which alas is too little probable considering how he is situated and by whom surrounded and if he should ask me to marry him i am determined not to consent until i know for certain whether my aunt's opinion of him or mine is nearest the truth for if mine is altogether wrong it is not he that i love it is a creature of my own imagination but i think it is not wrong no no there is a secret something an inward instinct that assures me i am right there is essential goodness in him and what delight to unfold it if he has wandered what bliss to recall him if he is now exposed to the baneful influence of corrupting and wicked companions what glory to deliver him from them oh if i could but believe that heaven has designed me for this to-day is the first of september but my uncle has ordered the gamekeeper to spare the partridges till the gentlemen come what gentlemen i asked when i heard it a small party he had invited to shoot his friend mr wilmot was one and my aunt's friend mr borham another this struck me as terrible news at the moment but all regret and apprehension vanished like a dream when i heard that mr huntingdon was actually to be a third my aunt is greatly against his coming of course she earnestly endeavoured to dissuade my uncle from asking him but he laughing at her objections told her it was no use talking for the mischief was already done he had invited huntingdon and his friend lord lowborough before we left london and nothing now remained but to fix the day for their coming so he is safe and i am sure of seeing him i cannot express my joy i find it very difficult to conceal it from my aunt but i don't wish to trouble her with my feelings till i know whether i ought to indulge them or not if i find it my absolute duty to suppress them they shall trouble no one but myself and if i can really feel myself justified in indulging this attachment i can dare anything even the anger and grief of my best friend for its object surely i shall soon know but they are not coming till about the middle of the month we are to have two lady visitors also mr wilmot is to bring his niece and her cousin millicent i suppose my aunt thinks the latter will benefit me by her society and the salutary example of her gentle deportment and lowly and tractable spirit and the former i suspect she intends as a species of counter-attraction to win mr huntingdon's attention from me i don't thank her for this but i shall be glad of millicent's company she is a sweet good girl and i wish i were like her more like her at least than i am nineteenth they are come they came the day before yesterday the gentlemen are all gone out to shoot and the ladies are with my aunt at work in the drawing-room i have retired to the library for i am very unhappy and i want to be alone books cannot divert me so having opened my desk i will try what may be done by detailing the cause of my uneasiness this paper will serve instead of a confidential friend into whose ear i might pour forth the overflowings of my heart 
it will not sympathize with my distresses but then it will not laugh at them and if i keep it close it cannot tell again so it is perhaps the best friend i could have for the purpose first let me speak of his arrival how i sat at my window and watched for nearly two hours before his carriage entered the park gates for they all came before him and how deeply i was disappointed at every arrival because it was not his first came mr wilmot and the ladies when millicent had got into her room i quitted my post a few minutes to look in upon her and have a little private conversation for she was now my intimate friend several long epistles having passed between us since our parting on returning to my window i beheld another carriage at the door was it his no it was mr borham's plain dark chariot and there stood he upon the steps carefully superintending the dislodging of his various boxes and packages what a collection one would have thought he projected a visit of six months at least a considerable time after came lord lowborough in his barouche is he one of the profligate friends i wonder i should think not for no one could call him a jolly companion i'm sure and besides he appears too sober and gentlemanly in his demeanour to merit such suspicions he is a tall thin gloomy-looking man apparently between thirty and forty and of a somewhat sickly careworn aspect at last mr huntington's light phaeton came bowling merrily up the lawn i had but a transient glimpse of him for the moment it stopped he sprang out over the side on to the portico steps and disappeared into the house i now submitted to be dressed for dinner a duty which rachel had been urging upon me for the last twenty minutes and when that important business was completed i repaired to the drawing-room where i found mr and miss wilmot and millicent hargrave already assembled shortly after lord lowborough entered and then mr borham who seemed quite willing to forget and forgive my former conduct and to hope that a little conciliation and steady perseverance on his part might yet succeed in bringing me to reason while i stood at the window conversing with millicent he came up to me and was beginning to talk in nearly his usual strain when mr huntingdon entered the room how will he greet me i wonder said my bounding heart and instead of advancing to meet him i turned to the window to hide or subdue my emotion but having saluted his host and hostess and the rest of the company he came to me ardently squeezed my hand and murmured he was glad to see me once again at that moment dinner was announced my aunt desired him to take miss hargrave into the dining-room and odious mr wilmot with unspeakable grimaces offered his arm to me and i was condemned to sit between himself and mr borham but afterwards when we were all again assembled in the drawing-room i was indemnified for so much suffering by a few delightful minutes of conversation with mr huntingdon in the course of the evening miss wilmot was called upon to sing and play for the amusement of the company and i to exhibit my drawings and though he likes music and she is an accomplished musician i think i am right in affirming that he paid more attention to my drawings than to her music so far so good but hearing him pronounce sotto voce but with peculiar emphasis concerning one of the pieces this is better than all i looked up curious to see which it was and to my horror beheld him complacently gazing at the back of the picture it was his own face that i had sketched there and forgotten to rub out to make matters worse in the agony of the moment i attempted to snatch it from his hand 
but he prevented me, and exclaiming, " No, by George, I'll keep it," placed it against his waistcoat and buttoned his coat upon it with a delighted chuckle. Then, drawing a candle close to his elbow, he gathered all the drawings to himself, as well what he had seen as the others, and muttering, "I must look at both sides now," he eagerly commenced an examination which i watched at first with tolerable composure in the confidence that his vanity would not be gratified by any further discoveries for though i must plead guilty to having disfigured the backs of several with abortive attempts to delineate that too fascinating physiognomy i was sure that with that one unfortunate exception i had carefully obliterated all such witnesses of my infatuation but the pencil frequently leaves an impression upon cardboard that no amount of rubbing can efface such it seems was the case with most of these and i confess i trembled when i saw him holding them so close to the candle and poring so intently over the seeming blanks but still i trusted he would not be able to make out these dim traces to his own satisfaction i was mistaken however having ended his scrutiny he quietly remarked i perceive the backs of young ladies drawings like the postscripts of their letters are the most important and interesting part of the concern then leaning back in his chair he reflected a few minutes in silence complacently smiling to himself and while i was concocting some cutting speech wherewith to check his gratification he rose and passing over to where annabella wilmot sat vehemently coquetting with lord lowborough seated himself on the sofa beside her and attached himself to her for the rest of the evening so then thought i he despises me because he knows i love him and the reflection made me so miserable i knew not what to do millicent came and began to admire my drawings and make remarks upon them but i could not talk to her i could talk to no one and upon the introduction of tea i took advantage of the open door and the slight diversion caused by its entrance to slip out for i was sure i could not take any and take refuge in the library my aunt sent thomas in quest of me to ask if i were not coming to tea but i bade him say i should not take any to-night and happily she was too much occupied with her guests to make any further inquiries at the time as most of the company had travelled far that day they retired early to rest and having heard them all as i thought go upstairs i ventured out to get my candlestick from the drawing-room sideboard but mr huntingdon had lingered behind the rest he was just at the foot of the stairs when i opened the door and hearing my step in the hall though i could hardly hear it myself he instantly turned back helen is that you said he and why did you run away from us good-night mr huntingdon said i coldly not choosing to answer the question and i turned away to enter the drawing-room but you'll shake hands won't you said he placing himself in the doorway before me and he seized my hand and held it much against my will let me go mr huntingdon said i i want to get a candle the candle will keep returned he i made a desperate effort to free my hand from his grasp why are you in such a hurry to leave me helen he said with a smile of the most provoking self-sufficiency you don't hate me you know yes i do at this moment not you it is annabella wilmot you hate not me i have nothing to do with annabella wilmot said i burning with indignation but i have you know returned he with peculiar emphasis that is nothing to me sir i retorted is it nothing to you helen will you swear it will you no i won't mr huntingdon and i will go cried i 
not knowing whether to laugh or to cry or to break out into a tempest of fury go then you vixen he said but the instant he released my hand he had the audacity to put his arm round my neck and kiss me trembling with anger and agitation and i don't know what besides i broke away and got my candle and rushed upstairs to my room he would not have done so but for that hateful picture and there he had it still in his possession an eternal monument to his pride and my humiliation it was but little sleep i got that night and in the morning i rose perplexed and troubled with the thoughts of meeting him at breakfast i knew not how it was to be done an assumption of dignified cold indifference would hardly do after what he knew of my devotion to his face at least yet something must be done to check his presumption i would not submit to be tyrannized over by those bright laughing eyes and accordingly i received his cheerful morning salutation as calmly and coldly as my aunt could have wished and defeated with brief answers his one or two attempts to draw me into conversation while i comported myself with unusual cheerfulness and complacence towards every other member of the party especially annabella wilmot and even her uncle and mr borham were treated with an extra amount of civility on the occasion not from any motives of coquetry but just to show him that my particular coolness and reserve arose from no general ill-humour or depression of spirits he was not however to be repelled by such acting as this he did not talk much to me but when he did speak it was with a degree of freedom and openness and kindliness too that plainly seemed to intimate he knew his words were music to my ears and when his looks met mine it was with a smile presumptuous it might be but oh so sweet so bright so genial that i could not possibly retain my anger every vestige of displeasure soon melted away beneath it like morning clouds before the summer sun soon after breakfast all the gentlemen save one with boyish eagerness set out on their expedition against the hapless partridges my uncle and mr wilmot on their shooting ponies mr huntingdon and lord lowborough on their legs the one exception being mr borham who in consideration of the rain that had fallen during the night thought it prudent to remain behind a little and join them in a while when the sun had dried the grass and he favoured us all with a long and minute disquisition upon the evils and dangers attendant upon damp feet delivered with the most imperturbable gravity amid the jeers and laughter of mr huntingdon and my uncle who leaving the prudent sportsman to entertain the ladies with his medical discussions sallied forth with their guns bending their steps to the stables first to have a look at the horses and let out the dogs not desirous of sharing mr borham's company for the whole of the morning i betook myself to the library and there brought forth my easel and began to paint the easel and the painting apparatus would serve as an excuse for abandoning the drawing-room if my aunt should come to complain of the desertion and besides i wanted to finish the picture it was one i had taken great pains with and i intended it to be my masterpiece though it was somewhat presumptuous in the design by the bright azure of the sky and by the warm and brilliant lights and deep long shadows i had endeavoured to convey the idea of a sunny morning i had ventured to give more of the bright verdure of spring or early summer to the grass and foliage than is commonly attempted in painting the scene represented was an open glade in a wood a group of dark scotch firs was introduced in the middle distance to relieve the prevailing freshness of the rest 
but in the foreground were part of the gnarled trunk and of the spreading boughs of a large forest tree whose foliage was of a brilliant golden green not golden from autumnal mellowness but from the sunshine and the very immaturity of the scarce expanded leaves upon this bough that stood out in bold relief against the sombre fire were seated an amorous pair of turtle-doves whose soft sad-coloured plumage afforded a contrast of another nature and beneath it a young girl was kneeling on the daisy-spangled turf with head thrown back and masses of fair hair falling on her shoulders her hands clasped lips parted and eyes intently gazing upward in pleased yet earnest contemplation of these feathered lovers too deeply absorbed in each other to notice her i had scarcely settled to my work which however wanted but a few touches to the finishing when the sportsmen passed the window on their return from the stables it was partly open and mr huntingdon must have seen me as he went by for in half a minute he came back and setting his gun against the wall threw up the sash and sprang in and set himself before my picture very pretty in faith said he after attentively regarding it for a few seconds and a very fitting study for a young lady spring just opening into summer morning just approaching noon girlhood just ripening into womanhood and hope just verging on fruition she's a sweet creature but why didn't you make her black hair i thought light hair would suit her better you see i have made her blue-eyed and plump and fair and rosy upon my word a very hebe i should fall in love with her if i hadn't the artist before me sweet innocent she's thinking there will come a time when she will be wooed and won like that pretty hen dove by as fond and fervent a lover and she's thinking how pleasant it will be and how tender and faithful he will find her and perhaps suggested i how tender and faithful she shall find him perhaps for there is no limit to the wild extravagance of hope's imaginings at such an age do you call that then one of her wild extravagant delusions no my heart tells me it is not i might have thought so once but now i say give me the girl i love and i will swear eternal constancy to her and her alone through summer and winter through youth and age and life and death if age and death must come he spoke this in such serious earnest that my heart bounded with delight but the minute after he changed his tone and asked with a significant smile if i had any more portraits no replied i reddening with confusion and wrath but my portfolio was on the table he took it up and coolly sat down to examine its contents mr huntingdon those are my unfinished sketches cried i and i never let any one see them and i placed my hand on the portfolio to wrest it from him but he maintained his hold assuring me that he liked unfinished sketches of all things but i hate them to be seen returned i i can't let you have it indeed let me have its bowels then said he and just as i wrenched the portfolio from his hand he deftly abstracted the greater part of its contents and after turning them over a moment he cried out bless my stars here's another and slipped a small oval of ivory paper into his waistcoat pocket a complete miniature portrait that i had sketched with such tolerable success as to be induced to colour it with great pains and care but i was determined he should not keep it mr huntingdon cried i i insist upon having that back it is mine and you have no right to take it give it me directly i'll never forgive you if you don't but the more vehemently i insisted the more he aggravated my distress by his insulting gleeful laugh 
at length however he restored it to me saying well well since you value it so much i'll not deprive you of it to show him how i valued it i tore it in two and threw it into the fire he was not prepared for this his merriment suddenly ceasing he stared in mute amazement at the consuming treasure and then with a careless humph i'll go and shoot now he turned on his heel and vacated the apartment by the window as he came and setting on his hat with an air took up his gun and walked away whistling as he went and leaving me not too much agitated to finish my picture for i was glad at the moment that i had vexed him when i returned to the drawing-room i found mr boreham had ventured to follow his comrades to the field and shortly after lunch to which they did not think of returning i volunteered to accompany the ladies in a walk and show annabella and millicent the beauties of the country we took a long ramble and re-entered the park just as the sportsmen were returning from their expedition toil spent and travel stained the main body of them crossed over the grass to avoid us but mr huntingdon all spattered and splashed as he was and stained with the blood of his prey to the no small offence of my aunt's strict sense of propriety came out of his way to meet us with cheerful smiles and words for all but me and placing himself between annabella wilmot and myself walked up the road and began to relate the various exploits and disasters of the day in a manner that would have convulsed me with laughter if i had been on good terms with him but he addressed himself entirely to annabella and i of course left all the laughter and all the badinage to her and affecting the utmost indifference to whatever passed between them walked along a few paces apart and looking every way but theirs while my aunt and millicent went before linked arm in arm and gravely discoursing together at length mr huntingdon turned to me and addressing me in a confidential whisper said helen why did you burn my picture because i wished to destroy it i answered with an asperity it is useless now to lament oh very good was the reply if you don't value me i must turn to somebody that will i thought it was partly in jest a half playful mixture of mock resignation and pretended indifference but immediately he resumed his place beside miss wilmot and from that hour to this during all that evening and all the next day and the next and the next and all this morning the twenty-second he has never given me one kind word or one pleasant look never spoken to me but from pure necessity never glanced towards me but with a cold unfriendly look i thought him quite incapable of assuming my aunt observed the change and though she has not inquired the cause or made any remark to me on the subject i see it gives her pleasure miss wilmot observes it too and triumphantly ascribes it to her own superior charms and blandishments but i am truly miserable more so than i like to acknowledge to myself pride refuses to aid me it has brought me into the scrape and will not help me out of it he meant no harm it was only his joyous playful spirit and i by my acrimonious resentment so serious so disproportioned to the offence have so wounded his feelings so deeply offended him that i fear he will never forgive me and all for a mere jest he thinks i dislike him and he must continue to think so i must lose him forever and annabella may win him and triumph as she will but it is not my loss nor her triumph that i deplore so greatly as the wreck of my fond hopes for his advantage and her unworthiness of his affection and the injury he will do himself by trusting his happiness to her she does not love him she thinks only of herself 
she cannot appreciate the good that is in him she will neither see it nor value it nor cherish it she will neither deplore his faults nor attempt their amendment but rather aggravate them by her own and i doubt whether she will not deceive him after all i see she is playing double between him and lord lowborough and while she amuses herself with the lively huntingdon she tries her utmost to enslave his moody friend and should she succeed in bringing both to her feet the fascinating commoner will have but little chance against the lordly peer if he observes her artful by-play it gives him no uneasiness but rather adds new zest to his diversion by opposing a stimulating check to his otherwise too easy conquest messrs wilmot and borham have severally taken occasion by his neglect of me to renew their advances and if i were like annabella and some others i should take advantage of their perseverance to endeavour to pique him into a revival of affection but justice and honesty apart i could not bear to do it i am annoyed enough by their present persecutions without encouraging them further and even if i did it would have precious little effect upon him he sees me suffering under the condescending attentions and prosaic discourses of the one and the repulsive obtrusions of the other without so much as a shadow of commiseration for me or resentment against my tormentors he never could have loved me or he would not have resigned me so willingly and he would not go on talking to everybody else so cheerfully as he does laughing and jesting with lord lowborough and my uncle teasing millicent hargrave and flirting with annabella wilmot as if nothing were on his mind oh why can't i hate him i must be infatuated or i should scorn to regret him as i do but i must rally all the powers i have remaining and try to tear him from my heart there goes the dinner-bell and here comes my aunt to scold me for sitting here at my desk all day instead of staying with the company wish the company were gone End of chapter 18 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine Chapter 19 Of The Tenant of Wildfell Hall by Anne Bronte This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine Chapter 19 An Incident 22nd night what have i done and what will be the end of it i cannot calmly reflect upon it i cannot sleep i must have recourse to my diary again i will commit it to paper to-night and see what i shall think of it to-morrow i went down to dinner resolving to be cheerful and well conducted and kept my resolution very creditably considering how my head ached and how internally wretched i felt i don't know what has come over me of late my very energies both mental and physical must be strangely impaired or i should not have acted so weakly in many respects as i have done but i have not been well this last day or two i suppose it is with sleeping and eating so little and thinking so much and being so continually out of humour but to return i was exerting myself to sing and play for the amusement and at the request of my aunt and millicent before the gentlemen came into the drawing-room miss wilmot never likes to waste her musical efforts on ladies ears alone millicent had asked for a little scotch song and i was just in the middle of it when they entered the first thing mr huntington did was to walk up to annabella now miss wilmot won't you give us some music to-night said he do now 
i know you will when i tell you that i have been hungering and thirsting all day for the sound of your voice come the piano's vacant it was for i had quitted it immediately upon hearing his petition had i been endowed with a proper degree of self-possession i should have turned to the lady myself and cheerfully joined my entreaties to his whereby i should have disappointed his expectations if the affront had been purposely given or made him sensible of the wrong if it had only arisen from thoughtlessness but i felt it too deeply to do anything but rise from the music-stool and throw myself back on the sofa suppressing with difficulty the audible expression of the bitterness i felt within i knew annabella's musical talents were superior to mine but that was no reason why i should be treated as a perfect non-entity the time and the manner of his asking her appeared like a gratuitous insult to me and i could have wept with pure vexation meantime she exultantly seated herself at the piano and favoured him with two of his favourite songs in such superior style that even i soon lost my anger and admiration and listened with a sort of gloomy pleasure to the skilful modulations of her full-toned and powerful voice so judiciously aided by her rounded and spirited touch and while my ears drank in the sound my eyes rested on the face of her principal auditor and derived an equal or superior delight from the contemplation of his speaking countenance as he stood beside her that eye and brow lighted up with keen enthusiasm and that sweet smile passing and appearing like gleams of sunshine on an april day no wonder he should hunger and thirst to hear her sing i now forgave him from my heart his reckless slight of me and i felt ashamed at my pettish resentment of such a trifle ashamed too of those bitter envious pangs that gnawed my inmost heart in spite of all this admiration and delight there now said she playfully running her fingers over the keys when she had concluded the second song what shall i give you next but in saying this she looked back at lord lowborough who was standing a little behind leaning against the back of a chair an attentive listener too experiencing to judge by his countenance much the same feelings of mingled pleasure and sadness as i did but the look she gave him plainly enough said do you choose for me now i have done enough for him and will gladly exert myself to gratify you and thus encouraged his lordship came forward and turning over the music presently set before her a little song that i had noticed before and read more than once with an interest arising from the circumstance of my connecting it in my mind with a reigning tyrant of my thoughts and now with my nerves already excited and half unstrung i could not hear those words so sweetly warbled forth without some symptoms of emotion i was not able to suppress tears rose unbidden to my eyes and i buried my face in the sofa pillow that they might flow unseen while i listened the air was simple sweet and sad it is still running in my head and so are the words farewell to thee but not farewell to all my fondest thoughts of thee within my heart they still shall dwell and they shall cheer and comfort me o beautiful and full of grace if thou hadst never met mine eye i had not dreamed a living face could fancied charm so far out vie if i may ne'er behold again that form and face so dear to me nor hear thy voice still would i fain preserve for aye their memory that voice the magic of whose tone can wake an echo in my breast 
creating feelings that alone can make my tranced spirit blessed that laughing eye whose sunny beam my memory would not cherish less and oh that smile whose joyous gleam no mortal languish can express adieu but let me cherish still the hope with which i cannot part contempt may wound and coldness chill but still it lingers in my heart and who can tell but heaven at last may answer all my thousand prayers and bid the future pay the past with joy for anguish smiles for tears when it ceased i longed for nothing so much as to be out of the room the sofa was not far from the door but i did not dare to raise my head for i knew mr huntingdon was standing near me and i knew by the sound of his voice as he spoke in answer to some remark of lord lowborough that his face was turned towards me perhaps a half-suppressed sob had caught his ear and caused him to look round heaven forbid but with a violent effort i checked all further signs of weakness dried my tears and when i thought he had turned away again rose and instantly left the apartment taking refuge in my favourite resort the library there was no light there but the faint red glow of the neglected fire but i did not want a light i only wanted to indulge my thoughts unnoticed and undisturbed and sitting down on a low stool before the easy-chair i sunk my head upon its cushioned seat and thought and thought until the tears gushed out again and i wept like any child presently however the door was gently opened and someone entered the room i trusted it was only a servant and did not stir the door was closed again but i was not alone a hand gently touched my shoulder and a voice said softly helen what is the matter i could not answer at the moment you must and shall tell me was added more vehemently and the speaker threw himself on his knees beside me on the rug and forcibly possessed himself of my hand but i hastily caught it away and replied it is nothing to you mr huntingdon are you sure it is nothing to me he returned can you swear that you were not thinking of me while you wept this was unendurable i made an effort to rise but he was kneeling on my dress tell me continued he i want to know because if you were i have something to say to you and if not i'll go go then i cried but fearing he would obey too well and never come again i hastily added or say what you have to say and have done with it but which said he for i shall only say if you really were thinking of me so tell me helen you're excessively impertinent mr huntingdon not at all too pertinent you mean so you won't tell me well i'll spare your woman's pride and construing your silence into yes i'll take it for granted that i was the subject of your thoughts and the cause of your affliction indeed sir if you deny it i won't tell you my secret threatened he and i did not interrupt him again or even attempt to repulse him though he had taken my hand once more and half embraced me with his other arm i was scarcely conscious of it at the time it is this resumed he that annabella wilmot in comparison with you is like a flaunting peony compared with a sweet wild rosebud gemmed with dew and i love you to distraction now tell me if that intelligence gives you any pleasure silence again that means yes then let me add that i cannot live without you and if you answer no to this last question you will drive me mad will you bestow yourself upon me you will he cried nearly squeezing me to death in his arms no no i exclaimed struggling to free myself from him 
you must ask my uncle and aunt they won't refuse me if you don't i'm not so sure of that my aunt dislikes you but you don't helen say you love me and i'll go i wish you would go i replied i will this instant if you'll only say you love me you know i do i answered and again he caught me in his arms and smothered me with kisses at that moment my aunt opened wide the door and stood before us candle in hand in shocked and horrified amazement gazing alternately at mr huntingdon and me for we had both started up and now stood wide enough asunder but his confusion was only for a moment rallying in an instant with the most enviable assurance he began i beg ten thousand pardons mrs maxwell don't be too severe upon me i've been asking your sweet niece to take me for better for worse and she like a good girl informs me she cannot think of it without her uncle's and aunt's consent so let me implore you not to condemn me to eternal wretchedness if you favour my cause i am safe for mr maxwell i am certain can refuse you nothing we will talk of this to-morrow sir said my aunt coldly it is a subject that demands mature and serious deliberation at present you had better return to the drawing-room but meantime pleaded he let me commend my cause to your most indulgent no indulgence for you mr huntingdon must come between me and the consideration of my niece's happiness ah true i know she is an angel and i am a presumptuous dog to dream of possessing such a treasure but nevertheless i would sooner die than relinquish her in favour of the best man that ever went to heaven and as for her happiness i would sacrifice my body and soul body and soul mr huntingdon sacrifice your soul well i would lay down life you would not be required to lay it down i would spend it then devote my life and all its powers to the promotion and preservation another time sir we will talk of this and i should have felt disposed to judge more favourably of your pretensions if you too had chosen another time and place and let me add another manner for your declaration why you see mrs maxwell he began pardon me sir said she with dignity the company are inquiring for you in the other room and she turned to me then you must plead for me helen said he and at length withdrew you had better retire to your room helen said my aunt gravely i will discuss this matter with you too to-morrow don't be angry aunt said i my dear i am not angry she replied i am surprised if it is true that you told him you could not accept his offer without our consent it is true interrupted i then how could you permit i couldn't help it aunt i cried bursting into tears they were not altogether the tears of sorrow or of fear for her displeasure but rather the outbreak of the general tumultuous excitement of my feelings but my good aunt was touched at my agitation in a softer tone she repeated her recommendation to retire and gently kissing my forehead bade me good-night and put her candle in my hand and i went but my brain worked so i could not think of sleeping i feel calmer now that i have written all this and i will go to bed and try to win tired nature's sweet restorer end of chapter nineteen end of volume one recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two chapter one 
of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two chapter one persistence september twenty fourth in the morning i rose light and cheerful nay intensely happy the hovering cloud cast over me by my aunt's views and by the fear of not obtaining her consent was lost in the bright effulgence of my own hopes and the too delightful consciousness of requited love it was a splendid morning and i went out to enjoy it in a quiet ramble in company with my own blissful thoughts the dew was on the grass and ten thousand gossamers were waving in the breeze the happy redbreast was pouring out its little soul in song and my heart overflowed with silent hymns of gratitude and praise to heaven but i had not wandered far before my solitude was interrupted by the only person that could have disturbed my musings at that moment without being looked upon as an unwelcome intruder mr huntingdon came suddenly upon me so unexpected was the apparition that i might have thought it the creation of an overexcited imagination had the sense of sight alone borne witness to his presence but immediately i felt his strong arm round my waist and his warm kiss on my cheek while his keen and gleeful salutation my own helen was ringing in my ear nor yours yet said i hastily swerving aside from this too presumptuous greeting remember my guardians you will not easily attain my aunt's consent don't you see she is prejudiced against you i do dearest and you must tell me why that i may best know how to combat her objections i suppose she thinks i am a prodigal pursued he observing that i was unwilling to reply and concludes that i shall have but little worldly goods wherewith to endow my better half if so you must tell her that my property is mostly entailed and i cannot get rid of it there may be a few mortgages on the rest a few trifling debts and encumbrances here and there but nothing to speak of and though i acknowledge i am not so rich as i might be or have been still i think we could manage pretty comfortably on what's left my father you know was something of a miser and in his latter days especially saw no pleasure in life but to amass riches and so it is no wonder that his son should make it his chief delight to spend them which was accordingly the case until my acquaintance with you dear helen taught me other views and nobler aims and the very idea of having you to care for under my roof would force me to moderate my expenses and live like a christian not to speak of all the prudence and virtue you would instil into my mind by your wise counsels and sweet attractive goodness but it is not that said i it is not money my aunt thinks about she knows better than to value worldly wealth above its price what is it then she wishes me to to marry none but a really good man what a man of decided piety ahem well come i'll manage that too it's sunday to-day isn't it i'll go to church morning afternoon and evening and comport myself in such a godly sort that she shall regard me with admiration and sisterly love as a brand plucked from the burning i'll come home sighing like a furnace and full of the savour and unction of dear mr blayton's discourse mr leighton said i dryly is mr leighton a sweet preacher helen a dear delightful heavenly-minded man he is a good man mr huntingdon 
i wish i could say half as much for you oh i forgot you are a saint too i crave your pardon dearest but don't call me mr huntingdon my name is arthur i'll call you nothing for i'll have nothing at all to do with you if you talk in that way any more if you really mean to deceive my aunt as you say you are very wicked and if not you are very wrong to jest on such a subject i stand corrected said he concluding his laugh with a sorrowful sigh now resumed he after a momentary pause let us talk about something else and come nearer to me helen and take my arm and then i'll let you alone i can't be quiet while i see you walking there i complied but said we must soon return to the house no one will be down to breakfast yet for long enough he answered you spoke of your guardians just now helen but is not your father still living yes but i always look upon my uncle and aunt as my guardians for they are so indeed though not in name my father has entirely given me up to their care i have never seen him since dear mamma died when i was a very little girl and my aunt at her request offered to take charge of me and took me away to staningley where i have remained ever since and i don't think he would object to anything for me that she thought proper to sanction but would he sanction anything to which she thought proper to object no i don't think he cares enough about me well, he is very much to blame but he doesn't know what an angel he has for a daughter which is all the better for me as if he did he would not be willing to part with such a treasure and mr huntingdon said i i suppose you know i am not an heiress he protested he had never given it a thought and begged i would not disturb his present enjoyment by the mention of such uninteresting subjects i was glad of this proof of disinterested affection for annabella wilmot is the probable heiress to all her uncle's wealth in addition to her late father's property which he has already in possession i now insisted upon retracing our steps to the house but we walked slowly and went on talking as we proceeded i need not repeat all we said let me rather refer to what passed between my aunt and me after breakfast when mr huntingdon called my uncle aside no doubt to make his proposals and she beckoned me into another room where she once more commenced a solemn remonstrance which however entirely failed to convince me that her view of the case was preferable to my own you judge him uncharitably aunt i know said i his very friends are not half so bad as you represent them there is walter hargrave millicent's brother for one he is but a little lower than the angels if half she says of him is true she is continually talking to me about him and lauding his many virtues to the skies you will form a very inadequate estimate of a man's character replied she if you judge by what a fond sister says of him the worst of them generally know how to hide their misdeeds from their sister's eyes and their mother's too and there is lord lowborough continued i quite a distant man who told you so lord lowborough is a desperate man he has dissipated his fortune in gambling and other things and is now seeking an heiress to retrieve it i told miss wilmot so but you're all alike she haughtily answered she was very much obliged to me but she believed she knew when a man was seeking her for her fortune and when for herself she flattered herself she had had experience enough in those matters to be justified in trusting to her own judgment and as for his lordship's lack of fortune she cared nothing about that as she hoped her own would suffice for both and as for his wildness she supposed he was no worse than others besides he was reformed now yes 
they can all play the hypocrite when they want to take in a fond misguided woman well i think he's about as good as she is said i but when mr huntingdon is married he won't have many opportunities of consorting with his bachelor friends and the worse they are the more i long to deliver him from them to be sure my dear and the worse he is i suppose the more you long to deliver him from himself yes provided he is not incorrigible that is the more i long to deliver him from his faults to give him an opportunity of shaking off the adventitious evil got from contact with others worse than himself and shining out in the unclouded light of his own genuine goodness to do my utmost to help his better self against his worse and make him what he would have been if he had not from the beginning had a bad selfish miserly father who to gratify his own sordid passions restricted him in the most innocent enjoyments of childhood and youth and so disgusted him with every kind of restraint and a foolish mother who indulged him to the top of his bent deceiving her husband for him and doing her utmost to encourage those germs of folly and vice it was her duty to suppress and then such a set of companions as you represent his friends to be poor man said she sarcastically his kind have greatly wronged him they have cried i and they shall wrong him no more his wife shall undo what his mother did well said she after a short pause i must say helen i thought better of your judgment than this and your taste too how you can love such a man i cannot tell or what pleasure you can find in his company for what fellowship hath light with darkness or he that believeth with an infidel he is not an infidel and i am not light and he is not darkness his worst and only vice is thoughtlessness and thoughtlessness pursued my aunt may lead to every crime and will but poorly excuse our errors in the sight of god mr huntingdon i suppose is not without the common faculties of men he is not so light-headed as to be irresponsible his maker has endowed him with reason and conscience as well as the rest of us the scriptures are open to him as well as to others and if he hear not them neither will he hear though one rose from the dead and remember helen continued she solemnly the wicked shall be turned into hell and they that forget god and suppose even that he should continue to love you and you him and that you should pass through life together with tolerable comfort how will it be in the end when you see yourselves parted forever you perhaps taken into eternal bliss and he cast into the lake that burneth with unquenchable fire there forever to not forever i exclaimed only till he has paid the uttermost farthing for if any man's work abide not the fire he shall suffer loss yet himself shall be saved but so as by fire and he that is able to subdue all things to himself will have all men to be saved and will in the fulness of time gather together in one all things in christ jesus who tasted death for every man and in whom god will reconcile all things to himself whether they be things in earth or things in heaven oh helen where did you learn all this in the bible aunt i have searched it through and found nearly thirty passages all tending to support the same theory and is that the use you make of your bible and did you find no passages tending to prove the danger and the falsity of such a belief no i found indeed some passages that taken by themselves might seem to contradict that opinion 
but they will all bear a different construction to that which is commonly given and in most the only difficulty is in the word which we translate everlasting or eternal i don't know the greek but i believe it strictly means for ages and might signify either endless or long enduring and as for the danger of the belief i would not publish it abroad if i thought any poor wretch would be likely to presume upon it to his own destruction but it is a glorious thought to cherish in one's own heart and i would not part with it for all the world can give here our conference ended for it was now high time to prepare for church every one attended the morning service except my uncle who hardly ever goes and mr wilmot who stayed at home with him to enjoy a quiet game of cribbage in the afternoon miss wilmot and lord lowborough likewise excused themselves from attending but mr huntingdon vouchsafed to accompany us again whether it was to ingratiate himself with my aunt i cannot tell but if so he certainly should have behaved better i must confess i did not like his conduct during service at all holding his prayer-book upside down or open at any place but the right he did nothing but stare about him unless he happened to catch my aunt's eye or mine and then he would drop his own on his book with a puritanical air of mock solemnity that would have been ludicrous if it had not been too provoking once during the sermon after attentively regarding mr leighton for a few minutes he suddenly produced his gold pencil case and snatched up a bible perceiving that i observed the movement he whispered he was going to make a note of the sermon but instead of that as i sat next to him i could not help seeing that he was making a caricature of the preacher giving to the respectable pious elderly gentleman the air and aspect of a most absurd old hypocrite and yet upon his return he talked to my aunt about the sermon with a degree of modest serious discrimination that tempted me to believe he had really attended and profited by the discourse just before dinner my uncle called me into the library for the discussion of a very important matter which was dismissed in few words now nell said he this young huntingdon has been asking for you what must i say about it your aunt would answer no but what say you i say yes uncle replied i without a moment's hesitation for i had thoroughly made up my mind on the subject very good cried he now that's a good honest answer wonderful for a girl well i'll write to your father to-morrow he's sure to give his consent so you may look on the matter as settled you'd have done a deal better if you'd taken wilmot i can tell you but that you won't believe at your time of life it's love that rules the roost at mine it's solid serviceable gold i suppose now you'd never dream of looking into the state of your husband's finances or troubling your head about settlements or anything of that sort i don't think i should well be thankful then that you've wiser heads to think for you i haven't had time yet to examine thoroughly into this young rascal's affairs but i see that a great part of his father's fine property has been squandered away but still i think there's a pretty fair share of it left and a little careful nursing may make a handsome thing of it yet and then we must persuade your father to give you a decent fortune as he has only one besides yourself to care for and if you behave well who knows but what i may be induced to remember you in my will continued he putting his finger to his nose with a knowing wink thanks uncle for that and all your kindness replied i well and i questioned this young spark on the matter of settlements continued he and he seemed disposed to be generous enough on that point i knew he would said i 
but pray don't trouble your head or his or mine about that for all i have will be his and all he has will be mine and what more could either of us require and i was about to make my exit but he called me back stop stop cried he we haven't mentioned the time yet when must it be your aunt would put it off till the lord knows when but he is anxious to be bound as soon as may be he won't hear of waiting beyond next month and you i guess will be of the same mind so not at all uncle on the contrary i should like to wait till after christmas at least oh pooh pooh never tell me that tale i know better cried he and he persisted in his incredulity nevertheless it is quite true i am in no hurry at all how can i be when i think of the momentous change that awaits me and of all i have to leave it is happiness itself to know that we are to be united and that he really loves me and i may love him as devotedly and think of him as often as i please however i insisted upon consulting my aunt about the time of the wedding for i determined her counsels should not be utterly disregarded and no conclusions on that particular are come to yet end of volume two chapter one recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two chapter two of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two chapter two opinions october first all is settled now my father has given his consent and the time is fixed for christmas by a sort of compromise between the respective advocates for hurry and delay millicent hargrave is to be one bridesmaid and annabella wilmot the other not that i am particularly fond of the latter but she is an intimate of the family and i have not another friend when i told millicent of my engagement she rather provoked me by her manner of taking it after staring a moment in mute surprise she said well helen i suppose i ought to congratulate you and i am glad to see you so happy but i did not think you would take him and i can't help feeling surprised that you should like him so much why so because you are so superior to him in every way and there's something so bold and reckless about him so i don't know how but i always feel a wish to get out of his way when i see him approach you are timid millicent but that's no fault of his and then his look continued she people say he's handsome and of course he is but i don't like that kind of beauty and i wonder that you should why so pray well you know i think there's nothing noble or lofty in his appearance in fact you wonder that i can like any one so unlike the stilted heroes of romance well give me my flesh and blood lover and i'll leave all the sir herberts and valentines to you if you can find them i don't want them said she i'll be satisfied with flesh and blood too only the spirit must shine through and predominate but don't you think mr huntingdon's face is too red no cried i indignantly it is not red at all there is just a pleasant glow a healthy freshness in his complexion the warm pinky tint of the whole harmonizing with the deeper colour of the cheeks exactly as it ought to do i hate a man to be red and white like a painted doll or all sickly white or smoky black or cadaverous yellow well 
tastes differ but i like pale or dark replied she but to tell you the truth helen i had been deluding myself with the hope that you would one day be my sister i expected walter would be introduced to you next season and i thought you would like him and was certain he would like you and i flattered myself i should thus have the felicity of seeing the two persons i like best in the world except mamma united in one he mayn't be exactly what you would call handsome but he's far more distinguished-looking and nicer and better than mr huntingdon and i'm sure you would say so if you knew him impossible millicent you think so because you're his sister and on that account i'll forgive you but nobody else should so disparage arthur huntingdon to me with impunity miss wilmot expressed her feelings on the subject almost as openly and so helen said she coming up to me with a smile of no amiable import you are to be mrs huntingdon i suppose yes replied i don't you envy me oh dear no she exclaimed i shall probably be lady lowborough some day and then you know dear i shall be in a capacity to inquire don't you envy me henceforth i shall envy no one returned i indeed are you so happy then said she thoughtfully and something very like a cloud of disappointment shadowed her face and does he love you i mean does he idolize you as much as you do him she added fixing her eyes upon me with ill-disguised anxiety for the reply i don't want to be idolized i answered but i am well assured that he loves me more than anybody else in the world as i do him exactly said she with a nod i wish she paused what do you wish asked i annoyed at the vindictive expression of her countenance i wish returned she with a short laugh that all the attractive points and desirable qualifications of the two gentlemen were united in one that lord lowborough had huntingdon's handsome face and good temper and all his wit and mirth and charm or else that huntingdon had lowborough's pedigree and title and delightful old family seat and i had him and you might have the other and welcome thank you dear annabella i am better satisfied with things as they are for my own part and for you i wish you were as well content with your intended as i am with mine said i and it was true enough for though vexed at first at her unamiable spirit her frankness touched me and the contrast between our situations was such that i could well afford to pity her and wish her well mr huntingdon's acquaintances appear to be no better pleased with our approaching union than mine this morning's post brought him letters from several of his friends during the perusal of which at the breakfast-table he excited the attention of the company by the singular variety of his grimaces but he crushed them all into his pocket with a private laugh and said nothing till the meal was concluded then while the company were hanging over the fire or loitering through the room previous to settling to their various morning's avocations he came and leant over the back of my chair with his face in contact with my curls and commencing with a quiet little kiss poured forth the following complaints into my ear helen you witch do you know that you've entailed upon me the curses of all my friends i wrote to them the other day to tell them of my happy prospects and now instead of a bundle of congratulations i've got a pocketful of bitter execrations and reproaches there's not one kind wish for me or one good wish for you among them all they say there'll be no more fun now no more merry days and glorious nights and all my fault i am the first to break up the jovial band and others in pure despair will follow my example 
i was the very life and prop of the community they do me the honour to say and i have shamefully betrayed my trust you may join them again if you like said i somewhat piqued at the sorrowful tone of his discourse i should be sorry to stand between any man or body of men and so much happiness and perhaps i can manage to do without you as well as your poor deserted friends bless you no murmured he it's all for love or the world well lost with me let them go to where they belong to speak politely but if you saw how they abuse me helen you would love me all the more for having ventured so much for your sake he pulled out his crumpled letters i thought he was going to show them to me and told him i did not wish to see them i'm not going to show them to you love said he they're hardly fit for a lady's eyes the most part of them but look here this is grimsby's scrawl only three lines the sulky dog he doesn't say much to be sure but his very silence implies more than all the other's words and the less he says the more he thinks god damn him oh i beg your pardon dearest and this is hargrave's missive he is particularly grieved at me because forsooth he had fallen in love with you from his sister's reports and meant to have married you himself as soon as he had sown his wild oats i'm vastly obliged to him observed i and so am i said he and look at this this is hattersley's every page stuffed full of railing accusations bitter curses and lamentable complaints ending up with swearing that he'll get married himself in revenge he'll throw himself away on the first old maid that chooses to set her cap at him as if i cared what he did with himself well said i if you do give up your intimacy with these men i don't think you will have much cause to regret the loss of their society for it's my belief they never did you much good maybe not but we'd a merry time of it too though mingled with sorrow and pain as lowborough knows to his cost <laughs> and while he was laughing at the recollection of lowborough's troubles my uncle came and clapped him on the shoulder come my lad said he are you too busy making love to my niece to make war with the pheasants first of october remember sun shines out rain ceased even borum's not afraid to venture in his waterproof boots and wilmot and i are going to beat you all i declare we oldens are the keenest sportsmen of the lot i'll show you what i can do to-day however said my companion i'll murder your birds by wholesale just for keeping me away from better company than either you or them and so saying he departed and i saw no more of him till dinner it seemed a weary time i wonder what i shall do without him it is very true that the three elder gentlemen had proved themselves much keener sportsmen than the two younger ones for both lord lowborough and arthur huntingdon have of late almost daily neglected the shooting excursions to accompany us in our various rides and rambles but these merry times are fast drawing to a close in less than a fortnight the party break up much to my sorrow for every day i enjoy it more and more now that messrs borum and wilmot have ceased to tease me and my aunt has ceased to lecture me and i have ceased to be jealous of annabella and even to dislike her and now that mr huntingdon is become my arthur and i may enjoy his society without restraint what shall i do without him i repeat end of volume two chapter two recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two chapter three of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain 
recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two chapter three traits of friendship october fifth my cup of sweets is not unmingled it is dashed with a bitterness that i cannot hide from myself disguise it as i will i may try to persuade myself that the sweetness overpowers it i may call it a pleasant aromatic flavour but say what i will it is still there and i cannot but taste it i cannot shut my eyes to arthur's faults and the more i love him the more they trouble me his very heart that i trusted so is i fear less warm and generous than i thought it at least he gave me a specimen of his character to-day that seemed to merit a harder name than thoughtlessness he and lord lowborough were accompanying annabella and me in a long delightful ride he was riding by my side as usual and annabella and lord lowborough were a little before us the latter bending towards his companion as if in tender and confidential discourse those two will get the start of us helen if we don't look sharp observed huntingdon they'll make a match of it as sure as can be that lowborough's fairly besotted but he'll find himself in a fix when he's got her i doubt and she'll find herself in a fix when she's got him said i if what i have heard of him is true not a bit of it she knows what she's about but he poor fool deludes himself with the notion that she'll make him a good wife and because she has amused him with some rhodomontade about despising rank and wealth and matters of love and marriage he flatters himself that she's devotedly attached to him that she will not refuse him for his poverty and does not court him for his rank but loves him for himself alone but is not he courting her for her fortune no not he that was the first attraction certainly but now he has quite lost sight of it it never enters his calculations except merely as an essential without which for the lady's own sake he could not think of marrying her no he's fairly in love he thought he never could be again but he's in for it once more he was to have been married before some two or three years ago but he lost his bride by losing his fortune he got into a bad way among us in london he had an unfortunate taste for gambling and surely the fellow was born under an unlucky star for he always lost thrice where he gained once that's a mode of self-torment i never was much addicted to when i spend my money i like to enjoy the full value of it i see no fun in wasting it on thieves and blacklegs and as for gaining money hitherto i have always had sufficient it's time enough to be clutching for more i think when you begin to see the end of what you have but i have sometimes frequented the gaming-houses just to watch the ongoings of those mad votaries of chance a very interesting study i assure you helen and sometimes very diverting i've had many a laugh at the boobies and bedlamites lowborough was quite infatuated not willingly but of necessity he was always resolving to give it up and always breaking his resolutions every venture was the just once more if he gained a little he hoped to gain a little more next time and if he lost it would not do to leave off at that juncture he must go on till he had retrieved that last misfortune at least bad luck could not last for ever and every lucky hit was looked upon as the dawn of better times till experience proved the contrary at length he grew desperate and we were daily on the lookout for a case of philo de se no great matter some of us whispered as his existence had ceased to be an acquisition to our club at last however he came to a check 
he made a large stake which he determined should be the last whether he lost or won he had often so determined before to be sure and as often broken his determination and so it was this time he lost and while his antagonist smilingly swept away the stakes he turning chalky white drew back in silence and wiped his forehead i was present at the time and while he stood with folded arms and eyes fixed on the ground i knew well enough what was passing in his mind is it to be the last lowborough said i stepping up to him the last but one he answered with a grim smile and then rushing back to the table he struck his hand upon it and raising his voice high above all the confusion of jingling coins and muttered oaths and curses in the room he swore a deep and solemn oath that come what would this trial should be the last and imprecated unspeakable curses on his head if ever he should shuffle a card or rattle a dice-box again he then doubled his former stake and challenged any one present to play against him grimsby instantly presented himself lowborough glared fiercely at him for grimsby was almost as celebrated for his luck as he was for his ill fortune however they fell to work but grimsby had much skill and little scruple and whether he took advantage of the other's trembling blinded eagerness to deal unfairly by him i cannot undertake to say but lowborough lost again and fell dead sick you'd better try once more said grimsby leaning across the table and then he winked at me i've nothing to try with said the poor devil with a ghastly smile oh huntingdon will lend you what you want said the other no you heard my oath answered lowborough turning away in quiet despair and i took him by the arm and led him out is it to be the last lowborough i asked when i got him into the street the last he answered somewhat against my expectation and i took him home that is to our club for he was as submissive as a child and plied him with brandy and water till he began to look rather brighter rather more alive at least huntingdon i'm ruined said he taking the third glass from my hand he had drunk the other in dead silence not you said i you'll find a man can live without his money as merrily as a tortoise without its head or a wasp without its body but i'm in debt said he deep in debt and i can never never get out of it well what of that many a better man than you has lived and died in debt and they can't put you in prison you know because you're a peer and i handed him his fourth tumbler but i hate to be in debt he shouted i wasn't born for it and i cannot bear it what can't be cured must be endured said i beginning to mix the fifth and then i've lost my caroline and he began to snivel then for the brandy had softened his heart no matter i answered there are more carolines in the world than one there's only one for me he replied with a dolorous sigh and if there were fifty more who's to get them i wonder without money oh somebody will take you for your title and then you've your family estate yet that's entailed you know i wish to god i could sell it to pay my debts he muttered and then said grimsby who had just come in you can try again you know i would have one more chance if i were you i'd never stop here i won't i tell you shouted he and he started up and left the room walking rather unsteadily for the liquor had got into his head he was not so much used to it then but after that he took to it kindly to solace his cares he kept his oath about gambling not a little to the surprise of us all 
though grimsby did his utmost to tempt him to break it but now he had got hold of another habit that bothered him nearly as much for he soon discovered that the demon of drink was as black as the demon of play and nearly as hard to get rid of especially as his kind friends did all they could to second the promptings of his own insatiable cravings then they were demons themselves cried i unable to contain my indignation and you mr huntingdon it seems were the first to tempt him well what could we do replied he deprecatingly we meant it in kindness we couldn't bear to see the poor fellow so miserable and besides he was such a damper upon us sitting there silent and glum when he was under the threefold influence of the loss of his sweetheart the loss of his fortune and the reaction of the last night's debauch whereas when he had something in him if he was not merry himself he was an unfailing source of merriment to us even grimsby could chuckle over his odd sayings they delighted him far more than my merry jests or hattersley's riotous mirth but one evening when we were sitting over our wine after one of our club dinners and had all been hearty together lowborough giving us mad toasts and hearing our wild songs and bearing a hand in the applause if he did not help us to sing them himself he suddenly relapsed into silence sinking his head on his hand and never lifting his glass to his lips but this was nothing new so we let him alone and went on with our jollification till suddenly raising his head he interrupted us in the middle of a roar of laughter by exclaiming gentlemen where is all this to end will you just tell me that now where is it all to end in hell-fire growled grimsby you've hit it i thought so cried he well then i'll tell you what he rose a speech a speech shouted we here here lowborough's going to give us a speech he waited calmly till the thunders of applause and gingling of glasses had ceased and then proceeded it's only this gentleman that i think we'd better go no farther we'd better stop while we can just so cried hattersley stop poor sinner stop and think before you farther go no longer sport upon the brink of everlasting woe exactly replied his lordship with the utmost gravity and if you choose to visit the bottomless pit i won't go with you we must part company for i swear i'll not move another step towards it what's this he said taking up his glass of wine taste it suggested i this is hell broth he exclaimed i renounce it for ever and he threw it out into the middle of the table fill again said i handing him the bottle and let us drink to your renunciation it's rank poison said he grasping the bottle by the neck and i forswear it i've given up gambling and i'll give up this too he was on the point of deliberately pouring the whole contents of the bottle onto the table but hargrave wrested it from him on you be the curse then said he and backing from the room he shouted farewell ye tempters and vanished amid shouts of laughter and applause we expected him back among us the next day but to our surprise the place remained vacant we saw nothing of him for a whole week and we really began to think he was going to keep his word at last one evening when we were most of us assembled together again he entered silent and grim as a ghost and would have quietly slipped into his usual seat at my elbow but we all rose to welcome him and several voices were raised to ask what he would have and several hands were busy with bottle and glass to serve him but i knew a smoking tumbler of brandy and water would comfort him best 
and had nearly prepared it when he peevishly pushed it away saying do let me alone huntingdon do be quiet all of you i'm not come to join you i'm only come to be with you a while because i can't bear my own thoughts and he folded his arms and leant back in his chair so we let him be but i left the glass by him and after a while grimsby directed my attention towards it by a significant wink and on turning my head i saw it was drained to the bottom he made me a sign to replenish and quietly pushed up the bottle i willingly complied but lowborough detected the pantomime and nettled at the intelligent grins that were passing between us snatched the glass from my hand dashed the contents of it in grimsby's face threw the empty tumbler at me and then bolted from the room i hope he broke your head said i no love replied he laughing immoderately at the recollection of the whole affair he would have done so and perhaps spoilt my face too but providentially this forest of curls taking off his hat and showing his luxuriant chestnut locks saved my skull and prevented the glass from breaking till it reached the table after that he continued lowborough kept aloof from us a week or two longer i used to meet him occasionally in the town and then as i was too good-natured to resent his unmannerly conduct and he bore no malice against me he was never unwilling to talk to me on the contrary he would cling to me and follow me anywhere but to the club and the gaming-houses and such like dangerous places of resort he was so weary of his own moping melancholy mind at last i got him to come in with me to the club on condition that i would not tempt him to drink and for some time he continued to look in upon us pretty regularly of an evening still abstaining with wonderful perseverance from the rank poison he had so bravely forsworn but some of our members protested against this conduct they did not like to have him sitting there like a skeleton at a feast instead of contributing his quota to the general amusement casting a cloud over all and watching with greedy eyes every drop they carried to their lips they vowed it was not fair and some of them maintained that he should either be compelled to do as others did or expelled from the society and swore that next time he showed himself they would tell him as much and if he did not take the warning proceed to active measures however i befriended him on this occasion and recommended them to let him be for a while intimating that with a little patience on our parts he would soon come round again but to be sure it was rather provoking for though he refused to drink like an honest christian it was well known to me that he kept a private bottle of laudanum about him which he was continually soaking at or rather holding off and on with abstaining one day and exceeding the next just like the spirits one night however during one of our orgies one of our high festivals i mean he glided in like the ghost in macbeth and seated himself as usual a little back from the table in the chair we always place for the spectre whether it chose to fill it or not i saw by his face that he was suffering from the effects of an overdose of his insidious comforter but nobody spoke to him and he spoke to nobody a few sidelong glances and a whispered observation that the ghost was come was all the notice he drew by his appearance and we went on with our merry carousals as before till he startled us all by suddenly drawing in his chair and leaning forward with his elbows on the table and exclaiming with portentous solemnity well it puzzles me what you can find to be so merry about what you see in life i don't know i see only the blackness of darkness 
and a fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation all the company simultaneously pushed up their glasses to him and i set them before him in a semicircle and tenderly patting him on the back bid him drink and he would soon see as bright a prospect as any of us but he pushed them back muttering take them away i won't taste it i tell you i won't i won't so i handed them down again to the owners but i saw that he followed them with a glare of hungry regret as they departed then he clasped his hands before his eyes to shut out the sight and two minutes after lifted his head again and said in a hoarse but vehement whisper and yet i must huntingdon get me a glass take the bottle man said i thrusting the brandy bottle into his hand but stop i'm telling too much muttered the narrator startled at the look i turned upon him but no matter he recklessly added and thus continued his relation in his desperate eagerness he seized the bottle and sucked away till he suddenly dropped from his chair disappearing under the table amid a tempest of applause the consequence of this imprudence was something like an apoplectic fit followed by a rather severe brain fever and what did you think of yourself sir said i quickly of course i was very penitent he replied i went to see him once or twice nay twice or thrice or by our lady some four times and when he got better i tenderly brought him back to the fold what do you mean i mean i restored him to the bosom of the club and compassionating the feebleness of his health and extreme lowness of his spirits i recommended him to take a little wine for his stomach's sake and when he was sufficiently re-established to embrace the media via ni jamais ni toujours plan not to kill himself like a fool and not to abstain like a ninny in a word to enjoy himself like a rational creature and do as i did for don't think helen that i'm a tippler i'm nothing at all of the kind and never was and never shall be i value my comfort far too much i see that a man cannot give himself up to drinking without being miserable one half his days and mad the other besides i like to enjoy my life at all sides and ends which cannot be done by one that suffers himself to be the slave of a single propensity and moreover drinking spoils one's good looks he concluded with a most conceited smile that ought to have provoked me more than it did and did lord lowborough profit by your advice i asked why yes in a manner for a while he managed very well indeed he was a model of moderation and prudence something too much so for the tastes of our wild community but somehow lowborough had not the gift of moderation if he stumbled a little to one side he must go down before he could right himself if he overshot the mark one night the effects of it rendered him so miserable the next day that he must repeat the offence to mend it and so on from day to day till his clamorous conscience brought him to a stand and then in his sober moments he so bothered his friends with his remorse and his terrors and woes that they were obliged in self-defence to get him to drown his sorrows in wine or any more potent beverage that came to hand and when his first scruples of conscience were overcome he would need no more persuading he would often grow desperate and be as great a blackguard as any of them could desire but only to lament his own unutterable wickedness and degradation the more when the fit was over at last one day when he and i were alone together after pondering a while in one of his gloomy abstracted moods with his arms folded and his head sunk on his breast he suddenly woke up and vehemently grasping my arm said 
huntingdon this won't do i'm resolved to have done with it what are you going to shoot yourself said i no i'm going to reform oh that's nothing new you've been going to reform these twelve months and more yes but you wouldn't let me and i was such a fool i couldn't live without you but now i see what it is that keeps me back and what's wanted to save me and i'd compass sea and land to get it only i'm afraid there's no chance and he sighed as if his heart would break what is it lowborough said i thinking he was fairly cracked at last a wife he answered for i can't live alone because my own mind distracts me and i can't live with you because you take the devil's part against me who i yes all of you do and you more than any of them you know but if i could get a wife with fortune enough to pay off my debts and set me straight in the world to be sure said i and sweetness and gentleness enough he continued to make home tolerable and to reconcile me to myself i think i should do yet i shall never be in love again that's certain but perhaps that would be no great matter it would enable me to choose with my eyes open and i should make a good husband in spite of it but could any one be in love with me that's the question with your good looks and powers of fascination he was pleased to say i might hope but as it is huntingdon you think anybody would take me ruined and wretched as i am oh yes certainly who why any neglected old maid fast sinking in despair would be delighted to no no said he it must be somebody that i can love why you just said you never could be in love again well love is not the word but somebody that i can like i'll search all england through at all events he cried with a sudden burst of hope or desperation succeed or fail it will be better than rushing headlong to destruction at that damned club so farewell to it and you whenever i meet you on honest ground or under a christian roof i shall be glad to see you but never more shall you entice me to that devil's den this was shameful language but i shook hands with him and we parted he kept his word and from that time forward he has been a pattern of propriety as far as i can tell but till lately i have not had very much to do with him he occasionally sought my company but has frequently shrunk from it fearing lest i should wile him back to destruction and i found his not very entertaining especially as he sometimes attempted to awaken my conscience and draw me from the perdition he considered himself to have escaped but when i did happen to meet him i seldom failed to ask after the progress of his matrimonial efforts and researches and in general he could give me but a poor account the mothers were repelled by his empty coffers and his reputation for gambling and the daughters by his cloudy brow and melancholy temper besides he didn't understand them he wanted the spirit and assurance to carry his point i left him at it when i went to the continent and on my return at the year's end i found him still a disconsolate bachelor though certainly looking somewhat less like an unblessed exile from the tomb than before the young ladies had ceased to be afraid of him and were beginning to think him quite interesting but the mammas were still unrelenting it was about this time helen that my good angel brought me into conjunction with you and then i had eyes and ears for nobody else but meantime lowborough became acquainted with our charming friend miss wilmot through the intervention of his good angel 
no doubt he would tell you though he did not fare to fix his hopes on one so courted and admired till after they were brought into closer contact here at staningley and she in the absence of her other admirers indubitably courted his notice and held out every encouragement to his timid advances then indeed he began to hope for a dawn of brighter days and if for a while i darkened his prospects by standing between him and his son and so nearly plunged him again into the abyss of despair it only intensified his ardour and strengthened his hopes when i chose to abandon the field in the pursuit of a brighter treasure in a word as i told you he is fairly besotted at first i could dimly perceive her faults and they gave him considerable uneasiness but now his passion and her art together have blinded him to everything but her perfections and his amazing good fortune last night he came to me brimful of his new-found felicity huntingdon i am not a castaway said he seizing my hand and squeezing it like a vice there is happiness in store for me yet even in this life she loves me indeed said i has she told you so no but i can no longer doubt it do you not see how pointedly kind and affectionate she is and she knows the utmost extent of my poverty and cares nothing about it she knows all the folly and all the wickedness of my former life and is not afraid to trust me and my rank and title are no allurements to her for them she utterly disregards she is the most generous high-minded being that can be conceived of she will save me body and soul from destruction already she has ennobled me in my own estimation and made me three times better wiser greater than i was oh if i had but known her before how much degradation and misery i should have been spared but what have i done to deserve so magnificent a creature and the cream of the jest continued mr huntingdon laughing is that the artful minx loves nothing about him but his title and pedigree and that delightful old family seat how do you know said i she told me so herself she said as for the man himself i thoroughly despise him but then i suppose it is time to be making my choice and if i waited for someone capable of eliciting my esteem and affection i should have to pass my life in single blessedness for i detest you all <laughs> i suspect she was wrong there but however it is evident she has no love for him poor fellow well, then you ought to tell him so what and spoil all her plans and prospects poor girl no no that would be a breach of confidence wouldn't it helen <laughs> besides it would break his heart and he laughed again well mr huntingdon i don't know what you see so amazingly diverting in the matter i see nothing to laugh at i'm laughing at you just now love said he redoubling his cachinations and leaving him to enjoy his merriment alone i touched ruby with the whip and cantered on to rejoin our companions for we had been walking our horses all this time and were consequently a long way behind arthur was soon at my side again but not disposed to talk to him i broke into a gallop he did the same and we did not slacken our pace till we came up with miss wilmot and lord lowborough which was within half a mile of the park gates i avoided all further conversation with him till we came to the end of our ride when i meant to jump off my horse and vanish into the house before he could offer his assistance but while i was disengaging my habit from the crutch he lifted me off and held me by both hands 
asserting that he would not let me go till i had forgiven him i have nothing to forgive said i you have not injured me no darling god forbid that i should but you are angry because it was to me that annabella confessed her lack of esteem for her lover no arthur it is not that that displeases me it is the whole system of your conduct towards your friend and if you wish me to forget it go now and tell him what sort of a woman it is that he adores so madly and on whom he has hung his hopes of future happiness i tell you helen it would break his heart it would be the death of him besides being a scandalous trick to poor annabella there is no help for him now he is past praying for besides she may keep up the deception to the end of the chapter and then he will be just as happy in the illusion as if it were reality or perhaps he will only discover his mistake when he has ceased to love her and if not it is much better that the truth should dawn gradually upon him so now my angel i hope i have made out a clear case and fully convinced you that i cannot make the atonement you require what other requisition have you to make speak and i will gladly obey i have none but this said i as gravely as before that in future you will never make a jest of the sufferings of others and always use your influence with your friends for their own advantage against their evil propensities instead of seconding their evil propensities against themselves i will do my utmost said he to remember and perform the injunctions of my angel monitress and after kissing both my gloved hands he let me go when i entered my room i was surprised to see annabella wilmot standing before my toilet table composedly surveying her features in the glass with one hand flirting her gold-mounted whip and the other holding up her long habit she certainly is a magnificent creature thought i as i beheld that tall finely developed figure and the reflection of the handsome face in the mirror before me with the glossy dark hair slightly and not ungracefully disordered by the breezy ride the rich brown complexion glowing with exercise and the black eyes sparkling with unwonted brilliance on perceiving me she turned round exclaiming with a laugh that savoured more of malice than of mirth why helen what have you been doing so long i came to tell you my good fortune she continued regardless of rachel's presence lord lowborough has proposed and i have been graciously pleased to accept him don't you envy me dear no love said i or him either i mentally added and do you like him annabella like him yes to be sure over head and ears in love well i hope you'll make him a good wife thank you my dear and what besides do you hope i hope you will both love each other and both be happy thanks and i hope you will make a very good wife to mr huntingdon said she with a queenly bow and retired oh miss how could you say so to her cried rachel say what replied i why that you hoped she would make him a good wife i never heard such a thing because i do hope it or rather i wish it she's almost past hope well said she i'm sure i hope he'll make her a good husband they tell queer things about him downstairs they were saying i know rachel i've heard all about him but he's reformed now and they have no business to tell tales about their masters no mum or else they have said some things about mr huntingdon too i won't hear them rachel they tell lies yes mum said she quietly as she went on arranging my hair 
do you believe them rachel i asked after a short pause no miss not all you know when a lot of servants gets together they like to talk about their betters and some for a bit of swagger likes to make it appear as though they knew more than they do and to throw out hints and things just to astonish the others but i think if i was you miss helen i'd look very well before i leaped i do believe a young lady can't be too careful who she marries of course not said i but be quick will you rachel i want to be dressed and indeed i was anxious to be rid of the good woman for i was in such a melancholy frame i could hardly keep the tears out of my eyes while she dressed me it was not for lord lowborough it was not for annabella it was not for myself it was for arthur huntingdon that they rose thirteenth they are gone and he is gone we are to be parted for more than two months above ten weeks a long long time to live and not to see him but he has promised to write often and made me promise to write still oftener because he will be busy settling his affairs and i shall have nothing better to do well i think i shall always have plenty to say but oh for the time when we shall be always together and can exchange our thoughts without the intervention of these cold go-betweens pen ink and paper twenty-second i have had several letters from arthur already they are not long but passing sweet and just like himself full of ardent affection and playful lively humour but there is always a but in this imperfect world and i do wish he would sometimes be serious i cannot get him to write or speak in real solid earnest i don't much mind it now but if it be always so what shall i do with the serious part of myself End of Volume 2, Chapter 3 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine Volume 2, Chapter 4 Of The Tenant of Wildfell Hall by Anne Bronte This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine volume two chapter four first weeks of matrimony february eighteenth eighteen twenty two early this morning arthur mounted his hunter and set off in high glee to meet the hounds he will be away all day and so i will amuse myself with my neglected diary if i can give that name to such an irregular composition it is exactly four months since i opened it last i am married now and settled down as mrs huntingdon of grassdale manor i have had eight weeks experience of matrimony and do i regret the step i have taken no though i must confess in my secret heart that arthur is not what i thought him at first and if i had known him in the beginning as thoroughly as i do now i probably never should have loved him and if i had loved him first and then made the discovery i fear i should have thought it my duty not to have married him to be sure i might have known him for every one was willing enough to tell me about him and he himself was no accomplished hypocrite but i was wilfully blind and now instead of regretting that i did not discern his full character before i was indissolubly bound to him i am glad for it has saved me a great deal of battling with my conscience and a great deal of consequent trouble and pain and whatever i ought to have done my duty now is plainly to love him and to cleave to him and this just tallies with my inclination he is very fond of me almost too fond 
i could do with less caressing and more rationality i should like to be less of a pet and more of a friend if i might choose but i won't complain of that i am only afraid his affection loses in depth where it gains in ardour i sometimes liken it to a fire of dry twigs and branches compared with one of solid coal very bright and hot but if it should burn itself out and leave nothing but ashes behind what shall i do but it won't it shan't i am determined and surely i have power to keep it alive so let me dismiss that thought at once but arthur is selfish i am constrained to acknowledge that and indeed the admission gives me less pain than might be expected for since i love him so much i can easily forgive him for loving himself he likes to be pleased and it is my delight to please him and when i regret this tendency of his it is for his own sake not for mine the first instance he gave was on the occasion of our bridal tour he wanted to hurry it over for all the continental scenes were already familiar to him many had lost their interest in his eyes and others had never had anything to lose the consequence was that after a flying transit through part of france and part of italy i came back nearly as ignorant as i went having made no acquaintance with persons and manners and very little with things my head swarming with a motley confusion of objects and scenes some it is true leaving a deeper and more pleasing impression than others but these embittered by the recollection that my emotions had not been shared by my companion but that on the contrary when i had expressed a particular interest in anything that i saw or desired to see it had been displeasing to him inasmuch as it proved that i could take delight in anything disconnected with himself as for paris we only just touched at that and he would not give me time to see one-tenth of the beauties and interesting objects of rome he wanted to get me home he said to have me all to himself and to see me safely installed as the mistress of grassdale manor just as single-minded as naive and piquant as i was and as if i had been some frail butterfly he expressed himself fearful of rubbing the silver off my wings by bringing me into contact with society especially that of paris and rome and moreover he did not scruple to tell me that there were ladies in both places that would tear his eyes out if they happened to meet him with me of course i was vexed at all this but still it was less the disappointment to myself that annoyed me than the disappointment in him and the trouble i was at to frame excuses to my friends for having seen and observed so little without imputing one particle of blame to my companion but when we got home to my new delightful home i was so happy and he was so kind that i freely forgave him all and i was beginning to think my lot too happy and my husband actually too good for me if not too good for this world when on the second sunday after our arrival he shocked and horrified me by another instance of his unreasonable exaction we were walking home from the morning service for it was a fine frosty day and as we are so near the church i had requested the carriage should not be used helen said he with unusual gravity i am not quite satisfied with you i desired to know what was wrong but will you promise to reform if i tell you yes if i can and without offending a higher authority ah there it is you see you don't love me with all your heart i don't understand you arthur at least i hope i don't pray tell me what have i done or said amiss it is nothing you have done or said it is something that you are 
you are too religious now i like a woman to be religious and i think your piety one of your greatest charms but then like all other good things it may be carried too far to my thinking a woman's religion ought not to lessen her devotion to her earthly lord she should have enough to purify and etherealize her soul but not enough to refine away her heart and raise her above all human sympathies and am i above all human sympathies said i no darling but you are making more progress towards that saintly condition than i like for all these two hours i have been thinking of you and wanting to catch your eye and you were so absorbed in your devotions that you had not even a glance to spare for me i declare it is enough to make one jealous of one's maker which is very wrong you know so don't excite such wicked passions again for my soul's sake i will give my whole heart and soul to my maker if i can i answered and not one atom more of it to you than he allows what are you sir that you should set yourself up as a god and presume to dispute possession of my heart with him to whom i owe all i have and all i am every blessing i ever did or ever can enjoy and yourself among the rest if you are a blessing which i am half inclined to doubt don't be so hard upon me helen and don't pinch my arm so you're squeezing your fingers into the bone arthur continued i relaxing my hold of his arm you don't love me half as much as i do you and yet if you loved me far less than you do i would not complain provided you loved your maker more i should rejoice to see you at any time so deeply absorbed in your devotions that you had not a single thought to spare for me but indeed i should lose nothing by the change for the more you loved your god the more deep and pure and true would be your love to me at this he only laughed and kissed my hand calling me a sweet enthusiast then taking off his hat he added but look here helen what can a man do with such a head as this the head looked right enough but when he placed my hand on the top of it it sunk in a bed of curls rather alarmingly low especially in the middle you see i was not made to be a saint said he laughing if god meant me to be religious why didn't he give me a proper organ of veneration you were like the servant i replied who instead of employing his one talent in his master's service restored it to him unimproved alleging as an excuse that he knew him to be a hard man reaping where he had not sown and gathering where he had not strawed of him to whom less is given less will be required but our utmost exertions are required of us all you are not without the capacity of veneration and faith and hope and conscience and reason and every other requisite to a christian's character if you choose to employ them but all our talents increase in the using and every faculty both good and bad strengthens by exercise therefore if you choose to use the bad or those which tend to evil till they become your masters and neglect the good till they dwindle away you have only yourself to blame but you have talents arthur natural endowments both of heart and mind and temper such as many a better christian would be glad to possess if you would only employ them in god's service i should never expect to see you a devotee but it is quite possible to be a good christian without ceasing to be a happy merry-hearted man you speak like an oracle helen and all you say is indisputably true but listen here i am hungry and i see before me a good substantial dinner i am told that if i abstain from this to-day i shall have a sumptuous feast to-morrow consisting of all manner of dainties and delicacies now in the first place i should be loath to wait till to-morrow when i have the means of appeasing my hunger already before me in the second place 
the solid viands of to-day are more to my taste than the dainties that are promised me in the third place i don't see to-morrow's banquet and how can i tell that it is not all a fable got up by the greasy-faced fellow that is advising me to abstain in order that he may have all the good victuals to himself in the fourth place this table must be spread for somebody and as solomon says who can eat or who else can hasten hereunto more than i and finally with your leave i'll sit down and satisfy my cravings of to-day and leave to-morrow to shift for itself who knows but what i may secure both this and that but you are not required to abstain from the substantial dinner of to-day you are only advised to partake of these coarser viands in such moderation as not to incapacitate you from enjoying the choicer banquet of to-morrow if regardless of that counsel you choose to make a beast of yourself now and overeat and overdrink yourself till you turn the good victuals into poison who is to blame if hereafter while you are suffering the torments of yesterday's gluttony and drunkenness you see more temperate men sitting down to enjoy themselves at that splendid entertainment which you are unable to taste most true my patron saint but again our friend solomon says there is nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and to be merry and again returned i he says rejoice o young man in thy youth and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes but know thou that for all these things god will bring thee into judgment well but helen i'm sure i've been very good these last few weeks what have you seen amiss in me and what would you have me to do nothing more than you do arthur your actions are all right so far but i would have your thoughts changed i would have you to fortify yourself against temptation and not to call evil good and good evil i should wish you to think more deeply to look farther and aim higher than you do we now stood before our own door and i said no more but with an ardent and tearful embrace i left him and went into the house and upstairs to take off my bonnet and mantle i wished to say nothing more on that subject at the time lest i should disgust him with both it and me end of volume two chapter four recording by expatriate in bangor maine everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.